Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Church, we are, can, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your response. Usually people just stare at me. That's great. So thank you. Uh, uh, hey, great to have you here this morning. If you are just joining us now, either online or in person, we're jumping into a series here called Searching for God. And what we wanted to do as a church family is take some of these really difficult topics and questions and these things that we see people Google for and say, Hey, let's, let's dive head first into this. So if, just a warning, if you're new or newer to your faith journey, you may be like, boom, like this is way too much for me. Or you may be like, hey, I've had that question. And we tried to pick the top questions asked and questions that I have been asked as a pastor over my years of pastoring. Because we as humans are asking big questions about God. And when you Google something, we talked about this last week. When you Google something, everyone's got an opinion. So last week we uh, looked at and we discovered by exploring, is God good? Is God good? And that was a big question. And if you Google, is God good, you're going to have a lot of different thoughts, different opinions, even different religions speaking into this concept. So we started there last week for the big idea of, is God good? Because today we're going to ask the question, if God is good, why does he allow evil to happen? But before we go there, let's backtrack a little bit. Last week, if we were catching up, we talked about this big term called systematic theology. So for those of you who are brainiacs and like super deep nerdy stuff, you're going to love this series. Uh, I love nerdy stuff. Kurt loves nerdy stuff. Maybe like one other one of you. So the rest of you just please listen anyways. But, but this is actually super foundational for our faith walk. Because when we start to engage systematic theology, we start to look at God for who he is versus who we think he should be. For example, systematic theology is going to take a topic and we're going to start putting them into order and get, make sense of an idea by looking at the scriptures and seeing what does the Bible have to say about God being good. But from our human perspective, we're going to take questions like, is God good, through our life experience. One may say, oh man, God is so good. I was born in a rich family with good parents and we always went and we vacationed all the time and so God's good to me because I have everything I want and their perspective is God's good because they got everything they wanted. Another person will say, God's not good. I grew up in an abusive home. I grew up with pain and suffering. We were poor. There was no food on the table. And then we look at it from our perspective and say, God is not good because I did not get what I wanted. Systematic theology takes out our thoughts. It takes out our experiences and our feelings, and it gets down to brass tacks. What does the word of God say about God? And that's systematic theology. So that dives into our question for today. If God is good, why does God allow bad things to happen to, we'll even say, good people? If God is good, why is there so much evil in the world by a God who is good, and yet we look, it's obvious, it's everywhere. We feel like we're in a time of humanity where evil is running rampant. 
humans are hating humans more than ever. It feels like we've been at war forever. War, pain, death, destruction, new diseases, new pandemics, pain, suffering. I just heard a statistic that financially, financially, we are now paying $750 more a month for the same items we bought two years ago. So I don't know about you, but I've felt that pain financially in which I'm like, okay, God, like, where are you in the middle of this? Like, I'm generous and I'm kind, I'm trying to do the right thing, but at the same time, man, it feels like I'm getting crunched on every side. So it feels like we're trying to do the right thing, but pain and suffering is all around us. I know you feel that same way too. And so this question is not one that we can take lightly or just jump into. But today is going to look a little different from a lot of my sermons. I'm going to take you through a pathway in which there's moments you're like, I can relate to that, and moments you're like, I don't know what that guy is saying. That's okay. It's a little different type of sermon because we have to dive into a style of doctrine called theodicy. Theodicy. Theodicy is an explanation of why a perfectly good, almighty, all-knowing God allows evil to happen. That's the big word, theodicy. You can use that now on Twitter or wherever you're like, hey, I learned about theodicy today. And uh, like, what does it mean? Like, I don't remember, but he said the word, right? So theodicy is this pillar of doctrine in which if God is so good, why is he allowing all of this bad stuff to happen? C.S. Lewis is a, a well-known Christian author. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, I learned about him as a child with the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's how I learned about it, if you ever heard or saw that movie or read the books. But he is a well-known author, and he wrote this book called The Problem of Pain. It's a fantastic book. And he summarizes the topic about our problem and why we struggle with this question and, and this whole idea of theodicy. Because he says this, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy, Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. Let me summarize this again for you. If God is really powerful, if God is good, if God is good, he wants us to be happy. If God is powerful, he can make us happy. But are we happy, anybody? Are you happy? Like, are we really saying, like, oh, this is such a great world and such a great life. This is such a great opportunity for me. We honestly are like, we feel crushed by the world around us. And maybe you personally are in a good season right now, and I celebrate that with you. But there have been moments in your life in which you have endured pain and suffering. And in that pain and that suffering, as you sit there with a broken heart, and it feels like your body aches as there's so much stress and pain, you're like, if God is so good, why do I feel this way? And C.S. Lewis encapsulates that picture for us because this is an idea that is both for Christians and people who are outside of the church. This is a universal human question. If God can fix this problem, why isn't he fixing the problem? And with that, let's pray. That's the end of my sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> wow, this is a heavy question. And if you're just joining us now or online, you're like, wow, this is, this is some deep stuff because when we stop to pause and actually explore this, your heart starts to say, hmm, maybe God isn't as great as we think. Maybe there's something about God 
that we are missing that, like, is he narcissistic or something? Like, is he, like, set the world in motion and forgot about us? Is he just out there like he's good, but good luck, guys? Like, what is going on with God if he was so good? Why are we living this hell on earth? Why is it so bad here if God is so emphatically good? Great question. Great question, because I get asked that question all the time. I get asked that question more so through the perspective of someone's lens. So they will say, uh, Pastor, I have a question. You, you talk about how God's good and you worship him and you sing songs and all that stuff. Here's my question. How do you sing songs to a God that just allowed fill in the blank their story to happen to me? Okay, I'm gonna say this again. They say, how can God allow this fill in the blank to happen to me? And sometimes we get a little bigger than ourselves and we think, how could God allow this to happen to us? Or how can God allow this to happen to a people group? I mean, the first one we think of is like, God, if God is so good, explain to me the Holocaust in World War II. Why didn't God just stop Hitler right there? Smite, smite, smite. This is the end of the story. Like, why is he allowing this world to spin seemingly completely out of control where he is up above not paying attention to us? Fantastic, hard question. Because if we're truthful about it, I think we've all at some point in our, in our story have wrestled with this question. And maybe not to that extreme, but there's been an element of where are you? I know that in my faith journey, I've been there many, many times. It feels like in my faith journey that I'm doing all the right things, yet I feel like I'm suffering more than my friends around me. And I'm just being selfish right now because I have a microphone and I can say that. It's just what I feel. I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff. I feel like I'm following God. I started a church. I'm pastoring. I'm trying to help people. I'm in the community, blah, 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 blah. God, why am I enduring so much pain and suffering in different elements of my life if you are good? That's the question. Because it starts to eat away at our heart to understand maybe, maybe there's something about God we haven't explored yet and we need to explore that. Maybe there's an element of God and we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Because we're assuming that God's goodness equals my pleasure. And if you've ever read the Bible, God has never said that. God's goodness, we're saying God's goodness equals my enjoyment, or as C.S. Lewis said, my happiness or my pleasure. But God's goodness does not equate my pleasure. We assume when that there's evil in the world that there has to be a reason. God's not in control. God doesn't know what he's doing. That person's a terrible person, so all those bad things happen to him. And let me use a super huge, large 2023 word, which is not biblical, karma. That first of all, it's not biblical. It's a completely different religion. Secondly, it's not real. So stop saying, oh, karma's going to get you. You know, like that's not a thing. Like if I'm bad, I get bad. If I'm good, I get good. So if you have an element of believing in karma, you're going to now say to God, where are you? Because if you believe I'm a good person and do good things and now God likes me more than the rest of the people and now he gives me more gifts and he loves me because I'm such a good boy, you're missing the point of what God said. We made that up. God didn't say that. 
In fact, when you read the Bible, I'm going to scare you all out of not coming to church anymore. When you read the Bible, God actually takes his people through the hardest journey of all. There is pain, there is suffering, there's long suffering, and through this, it says that you see something that comes out in a product of people that actually have God's values versus human values. And today we're going to explore this passage that looks at this, a different shift in perspective in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bible, your Bible apps, feel free to open those up. John chapter 9, 1 to 3, fantastic, uh, fantastic story about Jesus as he's interacting with some people. And this is a great story and often really confusing, but we're going to dig into it today. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, also be on the screen behind me. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means, the word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This is a weird story. Because the disciples are walking along and this man who's blind, we're going to assume, knowing the cultural context, that this man was most likely begging. He had no way to make resources for himself. So if this man is now begging, he's blind on the side of the road, and they're walking by, and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, um, master, we have a question for you. What happened that made him be here? Why he is suffering because he has done bad things? Was it his parents or was it him that did the bad things? Because he's suffering because there's something bad that happened. And Jesus then retorts back to this and says, this isn't about sin. This is about me glorifying my father. That through this, this is going to be flipped around for such a time as this. This person being born blind you think is the problem, but that's not the problem. The problem that we have here is your perspective is too small. The bigger perspective is that this man, I'm going to manifest myself as God's son, and I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to spit in the ground, make mud, and stick it on your eyes. I'm telling you right now, if you are sick and I offer it, don't do it. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to spit in the ground, make some mud, and stick it on anything. Like, my knee hurts. Okay, right? Like, it's not going to work for me. This is the son of God doing miraculous things through miraculous ways. And he says this, this is going to happen right now because I'm here, and I'm going to be gone. And once I'm gone... This isn't going to happen. It's going to look different. I'm here right now. I've got to show that I am the son of God. And so this man gets to be a part of a story of God. And you're assuming that this man is a sinful, terrible, wicked person or his parents are? Super weird verse. But not if we understand the cultural context of these Jewish disciples. They see him, and the disciples are starting to work through this process of saying, wait, we know a passage about this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. One of the Ten Commandments, if you are, uh, missed that series, we did a ten words. We went through all the Ten Commandments, and we explained what Jesus, when he spoke on them, what was really being meant through the Ten Commandments. He made it a larger picture. Exodus 24 through, uh, through 6 says this. You shall make... 
Not make for yourself an image of and form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love in a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Ah, oh, it totally makes sense. They're walking by and they're thinking, hey, we know the Ten Commandments because they all did really well. And they're like, okay, this guy has an issue, which means someone sinned. Somebody hated God. Someone opposed God and his family. This could be his grandpa. Something, someone, something's wrong here. And now God's punishing this man because now he's blind because of their sins. That's how they would naturally process it through their cultural context and their learning. But what we learned about in the 10 Word series is that when Jesus goes into the Ten Commandments, he's like, ah, you guys are missing the point of the Ten Commandments. You think it's like this, but it's actually like this. And what Jesus is talking about is that as we sin and fall away from God, we are passing on our sinful nature from generation to generation. When I'm an addict, I can pass on addiction. When I am an abuser, I pass on abuse. When I'm angered and I show so much rage towards my family, I'm passing that on. We are passing on this sin to generation to generation. But for those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all chains are broken. And when the chains are broken, now, because the chains are broken, I have a new perspective and I don't do the things that I used to do. I now follow God's way. And so Jesus says, that's really what we're talking about. And they're like, man, that dude's dad must have had some issues because he's born blind. Look at him suffer now. From that perspective, we can start to say, man, God is really not good. We'd start to wrestle with, this guy is just he's an innocent bystander and God's doing this to this man. But that's not what the intent of the Ten Commandment was. And so we learn that Jesus shows the larger picture what bad things had to happen for this man to become blind? Jesus says nothing. Nothing. Actually, he gets to be a part of my story. And so this man born blind, now Jesus spits on the ground, he makes the mud, he puts on his eyes, he says, go to this place to be washed, which is a cleansing place, a place of healing that they would go hoping to be cleansed. So as they go to this cleansing place, the mud comes off his eyes, and, Je and this man can now see, and Jesus performs a miracle that only Jesus could do. And so now this man is part of this larger story. Our tension lies in this. Are you meaning to tell me that God created this man and he has this ailment for God's story? The answer is yes. Here's your tension. You're not in control of your life, are you? No. You think you have or don't have anything because you've worked hard enough for it or didn't work hard enough for it or you think that the breath that you have in your lungs right now is because you've earned it? The answer is no. We have a wrong perspective of humans because we as humans believe we're in control of our quote-unquote destiny. The truth is you completely are not. It is the Lord God Almighty who's in control of all things. And we as humans, we get to be a part of his story. And this is the part... I do not know how this works, so don't ask. Our lives and what we're doing intersects with God and his will and his, what he is doing with humanity, and he walks alongside of us in this huge cesspool of a life and world that we've made. The Lord God Almighty is in, we have created this huge mess because you keep sinning. 
the question often is, why wouldn't God just stop sin? Just smite all sin. It's a great question, but then you wouldn't be here because you probably sinned this morning. Because even though we're redeemed and saved as humans, we keep sinning. So the question becomes, if God is allowing evil to happen and he comes alongside of us and he's still here and present, why is he allowing you to keep happening even though you keep sinning? Because if God is good and God is in control and God has a story and a plan for you despite your wickedness and your sin, it now makes sense why he loves us and walks with us next to us. Because then if he eradicated sin, he'd have to eradicate humanity. But God's beautiful story is that he didn't eradicate us because he loves us. He created a pathway for us through Jesus Christ, his son. And because he's created a pathway for us, we now have an opportunity to have a relationship with God Almighty, but yet we exist and still live in this terrible place. So as you sin, you are multiplying sin in the world. Every time that you do damage, you're multiplying, you're resonating, you're sending ways out of sin. Every mistake, every bad relationship, everything you're doing as you build and create sin in the world is pushing the cesspool deeper, yet God doesn't leave you. Why does God allow sin and bad things to continue to happen? The only way to stop it is to eradicate you. That's it. Now, as you sit there and you're like, I'm not sure about this, let's just process for a second. If we process for a second what you did this week, which is not in, the, in line with God's kingdom, whatever it would be, I'll have you guys confess this later on Instagram. So, whatever you did this week, and you know what you did, whatever it was, the words said, the lying at work, whatever it could be, the things that you did, why is God not eradicating you? It is easy for us to point to Hitler, and do not get me wrong, that is a wicked, wicked man in a wicked, wicked time. Do not hear, I'm not saying that, but it's easy to point, well, I'm not that bad, I'm only this bad because I'm a good person. And in your mind, you think, if I'm a good person, I deserve good things. But according to the standard of God, there's no one good except for God alone, which we learned last week. So if we have this tension now, you have to stop thinking of yourself as good and worthy of God giving you everything you want and change your perspective to God is good. Why would he spend time with me? Because to stop the eradication of sin, which does happen in the book of Revelation, he ends it all. He's like, I'm done. But it comes after he saved his people. To end it now means to end you. But the beautiful piece of this whole story is that because Jesus Christ took all of our punishment, because he's the one who took all of our sin, and because you keep, sin you keep sinning, the word tells us that you are now seen as sinless. Because when God sees you, he sees the Son. And because the work that he had done through Jesus, now you are seen as sinless. And that's the crazy part. Now the question is, who is this God that would do this? Pain and suffering is just the result of us resonating sin deeper into the world. Death is the result of sin. It comes for all of us at some time. And every breath that we take, every moment that we have is a gift because God says yes. Every good thing in your life is because God says yes. 
And then we take this perspective, what about all this bad stuff? Because remember, we're living in the cesspool. We exist in this dark place, but yet God still comes with us to where we are in our place and says, I'm here and I will flip everything around for good. He flips it. He says it so clearly. Like, I, I understand that there is pain. I understand that suffering. But for you as a human to understand the purpose I have for you, you're going to have to make your way through this gauntlet. Now, I, am, uh, I love science fiction. I'm a super sci-fi nerd. And everything in my world somehow relies on Star Wars or some other thing. So, one of the movies that fascinated me was the movie The Matrix that came out in early 2000s, late 90s. And this idea that maybe we aren't really alive and maybe we're plugged into this machine and yada, yada, yada. If you haven't seen it, you're like, don't worry about it, don't go see it. I love this movie. And I, this is why I love this movie. It gives, there's a different perspective. We think we have the perspective that everything is great, but the truth is everything is not. And when I take that concept and I relate it to my Lord and my God, my perspective is that I'm living the life that I think I deserve and I get and I want everything. The truth is God sees the perspective from a much larger view to say my humanity, my children are broken and they are lost and their world is terrible and only I can save them. And God does it. God chooses to save us. And our tension, I'm gonna keep going back to this. I'm good, why don't I get a break? I've done the right things. Why am I the one going through this? I, I, I mean, I was charitable, God, and I helped people, God. I was a good father, God. I was a good woman. I, I did everything I could for your kingdom. Why in the world am I going through this? I can only tell you my story in my experience, because the why of God is God's to know, but I will tell you my story. Absolute truth. You are not sitting here today unless God absolutely destroyed my life through pain and suffering. It took pain, suffering, crushing, tears, brokenness. It took me to the lowest ladder I could ever be. And at the lowest ladder I ever be, as I cried out to God, say, how could you do this to me, God? How dare you? I did everything right. It was in that moment that I realized that God was creating in something in me I had no idea I could ever do. He created me a leader. He created in me something bigger than myself. He created in me a lead pastor. Because what he did into me and through me and allowed me to go through, which at moments were some of the darkest evil I can imagine, he brought out of the ashes somebody who said, now you're ready to do my work. Let me glorify myself through you. So who sinned in my life? Was it me or my parents? It was my parents. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. It wasn't them. It was done so that God could show himself and glorify himself. And then through that work, God said, I have a plan for you. Listen to me now. I want you to go plant a church in Slinger, Wisconsin, in which I said no. And then we had more issues and more struggles and more battles to say, God, at this point, I will go anywhere you want me to be to do anything you want me to do because I'm here not for my pleasure or my safety or my glory. It's for your kingdom and your kingdom come. If you read the Bible, every one of God's people somehow are crushed, broken, and rebuilt. 
And from my story, friends, from my story, only brokenness could have brought me to the place where I am today. I don't know your story. I don't know your why. I'm just telling you my story. I know, I joke about this all the time. I know if I had money and I was comfortable and I had a yacht and blah, 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 I would be a total jerk. I know it. I tried out for Survivor like seven times when it first came on the air. I'm like, I want to be, yeah, I'll show you the video someday. I want to be a Survivor so bad. I'm like, I want the million dollars. I could totally, you guys could pick this up. I could totally win. Like, I'll eat frogs. Like, I got this, right? And I never got on. And I didn't even get a call back. And I'm like, I had such a unique story. Here's this young guy who's a youth pastor and blah, 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 blah. I thought of this unique story. I never got a call back. And, and I remember I was kind of frustrated. And I'm like, man, maybe, maybe. God has a bigger story for me. Like maybe if, what if I would have got on there, I won the million dollars, would I be sitting here today? Like what if, I think there's what if stories, right? And I start to put these things together and I say, what if God is working a plan that is so much greater than ourselves that even though we live in this terrible place, he is redeeming and building everything into a beautiful story that only he can manifest. And though I, I'll be very clear, I don't like it. I don't actually appreciate it. I didn't say, oh, I'm so glad. This is so awesome. I feel terrible. I love this time. I was broken. I was crying. I was sad. I was confused. And there are days I still am, and I still go to those places, but I go to Romans 8.28. This verse says it all. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That we know that God, in all things, God works to flip the script. And he doesn't have to. That's why God is good. God is good because he flips the script. It's not his, it's his perspective, not our perspective. It's his narrative, not our narrative. So God's goodness, goodness is manifest in the fact that he has decided to love and save those who are broken, who are sinful. And he's not ending us. Because why does God allow bad things to happen? You have to ask the question, why is God allowing you to happen then? Because you do bad things. That's his perspective. So the next perspective is why does God allow us to keep existing? Because he's good. Because he's loving. Because he's full of grace. And so although he exists alongside our mess, he didn't just sit by and do nothing about it. He provided the answer right out of the chute so that in Genesis, when we see that humans fall, right away we see the glimmer of the gospel in which there'll be one who is going to end this and his name is Jesus Christ. So now though we're here in dark, we look to the hope that we have that we find in Revelation. In Revelation, we see Jesus comes back, but this time he doesn't come back as, Mary, did you know? He now comes back. He comes back on a horse and he's got a flaming sword. He's coming back as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's coming back. He takes all of his people and he says, it's done. Sin is eradicated. Darkness is eradicated. It is over and done. And those who, not were good people, those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, the ones with him, not the good people, the ones who call him the savior because there's no one good except for God alone. We just try to do good things, but the truth is the Bible says we can't do good things because God is alone is good. So really when we start to put all this theodicy together, we have the wrong perspective. Our perspective comes from humanity into what's best for me 
and my story, but because my life was crushed, God gave you something good for your story. And you're here today. Totally different way of thinking. God's walking with us through all the pain, through all the sorrow, and God creates absolute diamonds out of lives that are made of coal. We're going to watch a video here to end my time with you, and it's about Horatio Spafford, the writer of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Some of you know the story, some of you don't, but Horatio wrote this song in the midst of some of the greatest pain and suffering heartache that someone can imagine. That he would go through all of this pain and then come out at the end and say, it is well with my soul. And let me put it in modern terms. It hurts, but I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it because I trust God. Can you say that today in your pain? Can you say that today in what you're going through? That no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, if you're at the mountaintop or the valley, if you're somewhere in between, that no matter what you are going through, God is still good. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.